Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's me, your host, Matthew Wade, here as is usually the case. But thankfully, it's not all bad. We also have Anita Sambol. How are you, Anita? Hello, hello, Matthew. Great to be back. A bit sleepy, but thrilled after a pretty good weekend for us. <laughs> Well, I did think, having been long-suffering with me through so much of the bad run last season and uh, and having, uh, you know, obviously being a bit knackered what with your impending arrivals, uh, that we should make sure that we tried to get you on the, the good one. <laughs> <laughs> when we get yeah. to the happy and, and also not just talk about new signings in a purely theoretical sense, but also having actually seen them play. You know, obviously, first game, you can't draw too many conclusions, but... Well, I haven't seen much of the game. I have to be honest. I missed, missed the whole first half. It was our first anniversary lunch. So <laughs> we were both, both out. And then for the second half, the stream was kind of weird uh, on my IPTV and all that. So yeah, I didn't see much of it, but I've seen the amazing Steven, Steven's video on uh, Telecan on YouTube channel and uh, read the player ratings, match reports and all of that. So I'm up for it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I, I didn't get to see the, the game live because I was actually, it was right in the middle of, uh, well, one of my friend's weddings. Uh, in fact, David, who came on and, and spoke to us about Brentford being the Brentford fan oh. after that game, he was getting married. So I was at his <laughs> wedding, but I did uh, watch uh, watch both halves after the baby went to sleep last night. Uh, I felt... Uh, I felt I should at least try and work out what on earth anyone was talking about. And obviously, given the fact it was a victory and given the fact there were so many new, new players and there seemed to be a lot of conversation about different people's performances, you know, online and in various different places and not always total agreement among those perceptions. I thought, right, I'd better, I'd better have a look. <laughs> sounds, sounds really good. Yeah. I've seen lots of uh, comments on, on Twitter, on social media in general about the, especially the new signings, how Ben White looked uh, a lot better than in the first few matches he played, how good of a signing. Uh, uh, I'm going to butcher his name. <laughs> the... Takehiro Tomiyasu? Yes. <laughs> Takehiro Tomiyasu. <laughs> This is the one time where I get to have better pronunciations than you because normally it's me butchering the names and you having to correct me. So, <laughs> yeah, how good of a signing he he's obviously it's a small sample as you already said, but it's a really nice nice thing to see something that you have been telling telling me when I asked you to convince me that Arteta is good for future. We saw a kind of a something that there is a plan behind it all that it might work soon enough if not this season then next season definitely which we saw in the transfer window and the signings we made and it was a bit on a show for for this match i mean even the starting lineup was a good indicator of what's what's to come yeah, I mean, one of the youngest starting lineups in an Arsenal team in a Premier League game in a long time, and certainly one of the youngest in the Premier League this season. I mean, if you took Pepe and Aubameyang out, the team's average age was about 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, you just run through the players in, in the pitch. Um, and just talking about selection, before we get on to any impressions of the match, I mean, what was what did you make of, of the lineup? Because obviously there were a few surprises in there, weren't there? I think I was most surprised with uh, 
Ainsley Maitland-Niles starting. <laughs> in midfield? In midfield, I mean, yeah, because it was all, will he go somewhere, will he stay, what will happen with all the social media stuff that was happening around him and all of that. So it was really, uh, that was the one surprise for me. And obviously I, I was a bit, oh, Ramsdale is starting, that's that's uh, something I wasn't expecting as well, but when you look at it, it kind of makes sense as well, because I mean, when you see his price tag and all of that, it's we all knew that he probably isn't here to, you know, be the always the backup or play only in cups or something like that. I just didn't expect it to come that fast to, you know. Well, I think that was partly because Bernd Leno was very late back. Uh, from the Germany fixture because of transport logistical issues that the German team was having. Um, oh, so. yeah, I, I, I saw something about that. They were stuck in somewhere. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> um, but as you say, if one can't help suspecting that if our second goalkeeper was still Alex Runison, that Bernd Leno would have started the game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. At least you'd hope so. <laughs> well, indeed. Indeed. Um, and then, of course, there was, you know, on top of that, there was question marks about Tomoyasu's work permit. Um, you know, would Smithrow be well enough to be part of the matchday squad? Would would party start? And obviously, as we've already mentioned, Maitland-Niles did. And there was also just a lot of interest because there's a team chock full of totally new partnerships. Um, you know, I mean, even... even, even uh, although it doesn't seem like a new partnership in the same way, even... Uh, Odegaard at 10 and, and, and Aubameyang at striker is a new partnership in a way because most of the times that Odegaard's played, Aubameyang's been playing on the left. So it was a, a lot of intrigue <laughs> for people wanting yeah, to Yeah, definitely. It didn't play it safe. <laughs> yeah, well, that's very true, yeah. Um, which I, I guess a lot of people would champion given that playing it safe has not yielded great results for this season so far. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and it easily looked a bit better, like with more energy, even though, uh, as you said, some players haven't played before together before. I mean, Tom Yasso was at the club for, what, three days, four days yeah. with the work permit sorted. And, and it already looked a bit more refreshing. I mean, if you want to look the fact that we had the most shots uh, since Mikel Deta took over, mm. they weren't all really good shots <laughs> that's bad that's batting sometimes yeah yeah i mean still it's 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 a progress to what we have seen in the first three matches yeah and, and that's despite the fact that norwich set up very defensively um i mean they they're, they're they pretty much were just trying to get pookie in the channels and, and and try and build from that um you know talk about a lone furrow up for the front man. Um, you know, at, at times in the first half, particularly the second half of the first hour, half, Aubameyang looked a bit isolated um, as we were, we were probably weren't progressing either the ball or, or the team up the pitch quick enough and also were looking probably for that that killer ball too soon. There wasn't quite the level of composure and, and, and controlled progression that you'd want to see. Um, uh, and that was a period where Aubameyang looked a bit isolated, but Puki was like that for almost the entire game. Um, so uh, yeah it wasn't as if Norwich were a team who were leaving lots of gaps for us to exploit uh, particularly in behind they were, they were quite deep and, and um, organised and defending in numbers um, but you, you obviously you didn't see the entire game but from what you did see what immediate impressions come to your mind I think that 
I would love to see Gabriel and Ben White play together as much as possible this season. I think they worked well together. I liked this Ben White better than the the one in the first match. <laughs> he looked a bit better going forward. I think that he had what three key passes or something. There was that stuff mm-hmm. going around on, on Twitter for for the whole weekend. So that was really great to see. And it, the three at the back allowed Tierney to you know be even more up front and join in the attacks as well without you know being forced to cover uh, behind. And think that Tomiaso really looked good and. Like he was here for for a while, you know. You always expect mm-hmm. someone coming from from a different league and from a different country completely to you know have some time to adapt. We always mention that that you have to allow players to adapt and all that. He looked really good, especially going forward. I mean, he had that really uh, good shot. Was it the end of the mm-hmm. first half or something? Like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. After the cross on the left was cleared to him, and he ran onto it and acrobatic volley just over the top. Um, yeah, I mean Norwich didn't didn't really. I mean they had a few chances later on in the match when we were the usual Arsenal defending one one goal lead, hmm. but I still think that uh, it looked good uh, defensively and obviously created a lot of, a lot of chances going forward, but. The finishing and that's that's still a, an issue with us, and we've seen the same some problems that we have been witnessing over the last last season and these few matches, like Pepe's first touch. <laughs> Erratic, I think, is the word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, I mean uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just just wanted to uh, repeat again what many have been saying that how good of a signing Sambi Lokonga seems to be. He fits in the team really, really well and again had a really good match. Yeah, and what's pleasing, I mean, just picking up on Lokonga is obviously the biggest adjustment from coming from the, the Belgian Jupiter League to the Premier League will be just the pace of the game and the physical intensity and, and all right, you know, playing against Norwich is not quite the same as trying to deal with the Chelsea, uh, you know, box in midfield, which is which is quite hard to negotiate. But he he is the pace of his players starting to pick up a little bit, without seeing a, a, a notable drop off in quality, particularly in his distribution, which I I felt confident would be the case given his fundamentals but I was sort of you know it's pleased to see that adjustment starting to happen quite quickly um, because that that gives him a much greater opportunity to be an important part of the midfield this season as well as as well as sort of looking beyond that um, and uh, you know just on the players you mentioned you, you, the back four model is fairly clear now um, the very fact that they bought Tavares' cover to Tierney tells you what the, what the left side of attacking bias is going to be um, and um, Tommy Esso, obviously, as, as we've already discussed, has attributes which uh, have previously been a bit short in supply at Arsenal. Certainly his, his strength in the air, not just his size, but actually his the way he challenges for the ball in the air is, is a big a big improvement over what we've seen in the right back position and um, and obviously meshes well with Ben White and, and as we saw there were a couple of times when Tommy Asu was actually dropping slightly deeper than, than White and White was going to challenge the man uh, if say if the ball was more along the ground and, and Tommy Asu was either tucking in or occasionally sweeping up but but also what one of the things that really stood out is 
you know, we've all seen the, I don't know what, what, pe- what people call it, the horseshoe of death in our past maps, particularly around the back, uh, you know, where it goes from whoever's playing right back to holding to Marie or whoever to Tierney to Marie to holding to the right back. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, then, okay, and then slowly into central midfield or to somebody who's being pressed. But straight away, Ben White illustrated two or three times in the first half in this match um, exactly what we're hoping to get from him. Uh, just, you know, receiving the ball um, and just carrying it forward and a couple of occasions beating a man, driving into space and then still playing a good pass. He play, you know, you may have seen in highlights a, a lovely faded ball over the top for Tommy Asu to run onto quite early on in the first half. And there were two or three times when it was just like, oh yes, this is someone who in progressing the ball brings us things that we haven't had before. Even, dare I say it, through David Luiz, who that was a great strength of his. But Ben White seems to be more technically reliable in his distribution. You know, David Luiz could hit the absolute worldly Hollywood ball, um, <laughs> but would also give it away a fair bit, uh, trying to play those balls in not always the right situation, whereas Ben White seems to have a greater variety to his distribution, as far as I can tell. Obviously, he's not as big as Luiz and, and therefore he's not going to be as strong in the air. And, and defensively, he's not as polished as yet. Um, as we saw a couple of times when he was struggling to keep tabs on Puki late on in the game and we were defending the lead. Um, but I think, you know, we had a very clear vision of what that's going to bring to the team going forward and it's going to make it have a big impact on our ball progression. And what I also thought was exciting about that, and you might have seen a bit of this in the second half, was how he was playing balls either to wide areas or to the channels for Pepe earlier. Mm. And... That suddenly, you know, one of the big problems we've had with Pepe is we we know he's a very erratic player, but we know one of his great strengths is making those diagonal runs in behind or 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 even out to the flanks. But you know, running in behind, which is something the right side of our pitch has not been able to provide him with opportunities to do with any great regularity. And um, just just having Ben White there means that 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 can be attempted from deeper positions as well as you know relying on say Erdegaard to to try and play those passes as well which um yeah is certainly very exciting yeah it's similar to what we talked when we signed party that he's someone who gets the ball and moves it forward quickly and passes it forward so it's it's nice to have someone like that in defense as well i think that the stat was that he had three key passes while david Luiz had two the whole last season <laughs> something like that so it's yeah for a comparison but as you said with David Luiz it's I mean I'm still not there you know with the 50 million <laughs> price tag but it's coming close <laughs> well as you say it's all about the partnership and and certainly him and Gabrielle have ob- obvious complementary elements you know the fact that Gabrielle is a more physical uh better in the air more uh more of a defensive center half even though he is reasonably comfortable with the ball at his feet and can occasionally drive into those holes um but it it, it gives a, a greater clarity of w- what's expected from whom um the, the real challenge will really be in games a bit like Brentford for, uh, where the opposition are playing either two up front or one up front who's a real physical presence with others who get around him very quickly 
that's going to be a test. That's going to be the thing that's going to show a lot about how that partnership can develop. Because with one striker, as the way Norwich played with with not with not being particularly closely supported, it meant that the two of them could just double team him, and you know, if uh, they could they could both sort of play to their strengths in that scenario rather than having to kind of be forced into places where they might be less comfortable. Um, and and longer term, you know, the uh, the mythical unicorn that is William Saliba, if he ever returns to being an Arsenal player, um, should complement both of them because he has elements of both in his game. Not, you know, his strength. They're not as good as... They're not strengths of his to the same degree they are strengths of those, but he's a bit more, bit more rounded in terms of the diversity of his skill set. So, you know, that that if that comes to fruition, that could be... That could be, uh, you know, a, a, a core group of central defenders in place for the next half many years, which is something yeah. we have not been able to say for quite some time at the club. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, any any other impressions from from the second half before I start rambling on more? <laughs> <laughs> not Trump. I mean, your thoughts are very. Makes sense. I mean, I feel like I'm here. We don't have a camera on uh, for a podcast recording. Like nodding for to agreeing with what you are saying. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as as will be mentioned already, uh, the fact that we had so many shots, but still, what was six or, or so just on target. So we, that's something that we definitely have to improve. Obviously, it's. I I remember the comment that Arteta made last season how it's pure maths that something will go in was it I think it was for crosses that was the crosses against Spurs yeah yeah yeah. this time you know you could say the same for the shots but still they have to be a bit better I mean the goal was just (laughs) yeah (laughs) like like Michael Oliver was like oh let them let them have it (laughs) well it was one of those ones where I quite enjoyed because I, as well, you know, obviously as well as watching the actual uh, full half highlights and match highlights, I'd, I'd obviously caught sort of shorter highlights, and I did find it quite interesting how many various different commentary teams couldn't seem to work out why the goal had been given until like <laughs> five minutes later. It's like, well, as soon as it came off Pepe the third time, that was that, you know, just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it couldn't have travelled in that direction unless it hit Pepe a third time. So uh, I was kind of like, why is this complicated, guys? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, obviously the very first glance, when it's all live, you think, oh, he's offside. But then as soon as, mm-hmm. as, soon as you slow it down, you're like, oh, okay, that's what's happened. But um, Yeah, that's what we are checked probably exactly exactly as they seem to also spend a while checking to see whether gabriel had stamped on timu puki when he hadn't actually treaded in any way shape or form (laughs) (laughs) i suppose var have got to try and do their duty to see if there's any way they can they can screw us but um yeah that's something we need to work on on from now on now that uh, maybe defensively we'll look a bit better and all that we still have to score goals obviously and how do you train that I mean we obviously have still Aubameyang up front playing well he scored lots of goals in every season he has been here maybe he, he just needs to you know get to the right temperature or something like that but I mean still started creating chances but we need to finish them well, it's also about making sure that 
more chances are falling to, to, to more people as well because um, I, I mean one of the problems we've still got which is the opposite to shall we say the second half of Wenger's reign <laughs> which is we, we, our, like our central midfielders do not get in the box yeah uh, which means that which is normally such a crucial part of creating um, defence disturbing attacking overloads or, or at least kind of putting defences under pressure is getting one of those people supporting supporting the front players you know when you've got controlled professionals obviously you don't do it willy nilly um, which is one of the things we were sort of perhaps wondering if Joe Willett could bring to the table before he got banished to Newcastle for his sins um, and of course a large part of that has been due to A Arteta being slightly more conservative to protect the defence B, the defenders we've having being slow as shit and therefore having to play a bit deeper than we might want them to. Or C, um, just having not enough midfielders with the mobility to to break forward and ever make it home again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but obviously some of our signings will help with that. You know, our defence can now look at playing a higher line without being too frightening because they're all, they're all mobile now. Um, and they, and they've all got good recovery pace, all four of them. You've got uh, a midfield where, yeah, okay, Jack is still going to be there being slow, but um, and and Party's not a sprinter, but Lukonga's quite light on his feet and can cover ground reasonably well. Obviously, if Maitland Niles is going to get more games in that position anytime soon, then that for what you lose in in a degree of control, you certainly gain the mobility. Um, as he was evidenced a few times in this game, where he's you know some of his passing was a bit loose on occasions, but his some of his recoveries were great, and some of his carrying the ball through the midfield was was very positive as well. Um, which also helps the speeds of transition, which is something we've we, we've struggled with. Yeah. But but also I think Erdegaard, we saw we saw something interesting, didn't we, in the second half when when Arteta made the changes, and then so Party was sitting as the deepest, and you had Erdegaard more as a sort of secondary central midfielder with Smith Rowe playing at the number 10 role. Yeah. And of course, Erdegaard, although not being a player who habitually breaks into the box, does it. You know, he does it, he's certainly to the edge of the box or to the, you know, and we saw that on a few occasions. Uh, although I have to say, I was actually more impressed with some of his tracking back in those last 20 minutes, where, um, which I thought was, aside from him, we hadn't had the opportunity to see before. So, I think that will make a big difference if we can just get a little more support, even if it's just to the edge of the box from uh, our, our central midfielders. I think that will make a huge difference because at the moment, the opposition defensive midfielders can all just collapse into that central penalty area area around our strikers and, and inverted wingers because there's no threat coming from deeper. As soon as you put one more body in there, then it, it gives people a decision to make and, and they're not going to be able to make the right decision every single time because of the sheer number of variables. Um, I think another thing that will, will help matters as well is, I mean, we all know that Arteta was looking for a striker with a bit more physical presence. That's not going to happen this season. Uh, but, but longer term, I think that will help. But also just a bit more clarity about exactly... What are wide players and number ten? What that relationship is, because because there's been a bit of a rotating cast there. I think we're still working it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to to ask you. Now we have seen uh, how uh, 
Lokonga is fitting in well. Maitland has got a run out in the midfield as well. And obviously party is getting back to the full fitness. Do you think that uh, Chaka will jump back in the team when his penalty is <laughs> done? Well, I mean, what should happen is that, is that it'll be a horses for courses approach and he will play in, in games where we need more control uh, and the others will will play in, in, in other games. I mean, one thing I did note is that we all know that uh, Xhaka's mobility is always a problem defensively, but when it's not reliant on his mobility, his tracking back's pretty good. You know, he's, he's, he's quite good at getting in to support his back four, which is something that perhaps the other midfielders in the squad aren't, aren't as actually as good at. So, yeah, the few, yeah. so the, there were a few times in which we were a bit exposed in this game, uh, even despite the pulse to the opposition, and it was just down to people, you know, midfielders running back, but not not really knowing the positions to get into once they're back, or knowing quite which run to track or how to track it. And of course, you know, they they're young guys with limited experience of playing midfield at this level, so that's hardly anything to be surprised about, except for Party, who's who's someone you ideally don't want as the furthest midfielder back unless you're playing a very, very attacking style, just because as we saw for the goal, he's someone you want being able to play quickly forward uh, and to play passes between defensive lines to people who are getting into those pockets of space. Um, so I, I, th- I would not be surprised to see Xhaka come back straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh but I do think, hopefully, as the season progresses, his selection will be more dependent on the opponent than it will be upon just just his relative experience level. But well, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's this is I, I, like a, a ideal situation, you'd say, maybe with with that and with defensive options that you you can have different players playing against different teams, and that's something that you would definitely like and want. And I. I question here the, as you said, the experience our midfielders have, but I also question the experience when Mikler Teta has as, as a coach, as a manager. Yeah. <laughs> you know, will he know how to adapt to all of that? Will he you know, think think of the DS play, these players? Or is this a one-off that he played now against Norwich? Or And will he go back to safer options later on uh, in the, when when Chaka is back, when his let's say first options are back, mm. we'll see. I mean, but I think definitely a good good idea to have someone like that. And I agree with you that he's definitely good to, for you know breaking up uh, uh, opponents' attacks and all that better than some of the current midfielders. Well, it's it's yeah, it's more that they sort of they're better at different elements of it. Like Xhaka's not someone you want trying to win the ball. Regularly in central midfield, unless it's part of a coordinated press, because if he it's commits a card. <laughs> well, there's that, yeah. <laughs> but but there's also the fact that if he miss, if he does, if he tries to make a tackle and doesn't get there, that's him out of the play. Uh, yeah. Whereas obviously for some, you know, someone like Lukonga or Maitland Niles, actually to a greater degree, they're much more comfortable at, at that because they've got the ability to turn and get back. They've got greater agility to deal with people who might have the skill to try and beat them, um, and uh, and they can press more effectively when they do it, just because of that athleticism, which Jack is just you know never going to have. But where he's much stronger is obviously when if the opposition have got a bit of pressure or they're or, or we're kind of defending a little bit deeper, or 
you know, those balls coming in from wide areas, his physical stature and his ability to take up positions within our penalty area, which are, you know, danger positions, is far greater than the others. So it really depends on match situation and also how you want the team to play. And of course, you know, we, we, we now have a better idea about what, Arteta wants his team to be and what certain attributes he wants, but we still, we're still trying to work out what he, how he wants the team to play the majority of the time. Um, partly because of the lack of continuity there has been for so much of it, um, of, of his period in charge. Uh, yeah, definitely. That, that's the leitmotiv, if, if that's the English word. It's, it's a word in, in Croatia, and, you know, the thing that's been repeated over the time and, mm-hmm. you know, going through the conversations when it comes to Arteta is that wait till he has all all of his players ready, all of his players fit and all of that. And it's just, it's we have to think beyond the first 11, the top 11, as you said, those backup options and different options to play in defense and in midfield and in attack as well. And see, not just uh, when he's, First eleven. I'm not even sure what our first eleven is right now. Well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> But you know, to see that when he has all of these players available and all of these different teams, because there are so many different styles and tactics and teams in the Premier League this season, it's when we will see what he's made of. To say like that, will he manage to you know adapt the team, adapt the tactics and thinking? Uh, which I wasn't convinced before, you know, with the, the sub, some substitutions he has been making during the last season and even this season. But again, maybe it's because he didn't have his first options available. He didn't have his first backup options available. It's, it's tough to tell. It's never, it's hardly ever an ideal situation for any manager ever anywhere to have, all the players available at the same time. So you can you know, just have uh, sweet troubles who you play, who you pick, who you substitute and all of that. But maybe it's okay to see what will happen now when he, when more or less all the players will be available now during this month. I mean, that that's kind of a yeah, yeah, yeah. impression you're having. And When they when we are not playing, you know, the European champions or yeah. Premier Premier League winners, uh, stuff like that. So should make it a bit easier, yes. <laughs> it's it's it will be like there have been some comments after this uh, win against Norwich. Oh, it's just Norwich, newly relegated team. They were one place above us and all of that, and uh, equally bad as we are. But I mean, I I think. How are these people's lives in general? <laughs> are you so miserable? I mean, we just won a match. We scored a goal. Yes, it wasn't a world beater or something like that. It, the the match wasn't really a fantastic one to watch. And there's obviously room for improvement, but we are all aware of that. And Mikel is aware of that. The players are aware of that. But why diminish the, the win, the three points that we got? It's a really something to be happy about and not just go oh yeah but it's just this it's just that i mean yeah and and every team even the best teams occasionally struggle to put goals past the you know bottom of the table teams that come largely to defend and you know we saw by the chances created after we scored that 
had one of those early chances we were created gone in in this in the, that we created in the first 15 20 minutes then it could have been a, a much more relaxing or certainly uh, exciting afternoon uh, for mm-hmm. for the fans but i will say that as arteta picked up on and and, and not just politically sensible of him to do so, but also quite right of him to do so. The the fans in the ground were incredibly supportive. You know, yeah. um, there's no point where you, you you can hear you can hear the sort of negativity that that you would think there would be if you just lived in the online sphere. Um, yeah, that's uh, true. There does seem to be this sort of. And amongst a certain amount of the online fans, particularly now the transfer window is closed and actually we've, people are able to take stock and see we've at least positionally addressed quite a number of our needs, um, that there is this, there is, there, people are willing for it to go well. Uh, and therefore, even though they might not think it necessarily will, they're, <laughs> they're kind of... For whatever reason, despite the fact that, as I say, a lot of people online have been saying, oh, you know, this is Arteta's, he's got to win these next three or four games or he's out, you know. There seem, and then a lot of people have been sticking the knives in, uh, that there does seem to be, uh, and we saw it in, in you know, in, even in recent fixtures, even the Man City game to a degree, that the fan, the fans going to the matches are kind of more, more behind it than than perhaps some some of the other fan base and then parts of the fan base or certainly that they're they're sort of willing to kind of okay let's see how this goes and let's hope it goes well which i think is healthy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's how it's supposed to be i mean it, it, it wasn't easy to last season the start of this season it's really it was really tough and you, you could see a lot of people changing their minds and being more negative and all of that. I for one I didn't think that this was a win or go match for, for Arteta because of everything that has been said from the club and from the board and the players and all of that. So it definitely wasn't that uh, case. But still it's it was really nice to see the positive from from the as you said match going fans. I think that the fact that online fans have been a slightly bit more negative i mean when you see comments and that maybe it's because even the media likes to put more emphasis on the negative stuff and write more in negative because that's what gets more comments and gets more clicks and all of that and that helps uh, the impression as well and even it's, it's, you know, us, our human nature, you remember the negative stuff you see much easier than the positive stuff. I, that's at least, you know, I'm scrolling down my, my Twitter timeline or <laughs> something and, you know, you see 10 positive comments like uh, uh, supportive or this, this player played well, this player played well, and then you see one negative saying something ridiculous or silly, I have no idea what now. And you think of that and you get angry at that and that's what what gets planted in your in your brain and you you know kind of scroll over those good ones good positive ones it's something that i myself have to definitely work on and perhaps some others as well yeah i mean i think i mean it is a thing of it's i don't really say what i say to criticize the fans who've been negative online because of course you know starting the game starting the game with three defeats in a row at the start of the season and no goals and the up and down 
of last season, certainly the disappointment against Villarreal, for instance, and, and and obviously that terrible, terrible run before Christmas. You know, I'm not expecting people to have to give Arteta credit in the bank. You know, uh, yeah. he, he's 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 very slightly behind the eight ball in terms of being at level. I would say in terms of you know he's got more to prove than if he'd just arrived. Um, but I do think that what the club has been doing makes sense. You know, the strategy that the club has, has, has adapted to makes sense. And obviously he's very much part of that strategy. And so because the strategy to me now, the shifting strategy makes sense to me, I'm sort of more willing to be supportive of the coach because at least it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, when, for instance, when things went tits up with Emery, we were still kind of, you know, yes, we'd bought in a couple of young players, but we were still sort of buying 30-year-old centre-halves and shit like that. And it was just kind of like, you know, if, if, we're, not, if we're not trying to build long-term, then it has to be results now mm-hmm. because there's yeah. nothing else. Whereas, whereas now there is a longer-term strategy, which by definition requires more patience because of the kind of players in the age profile of the players we've brought in. So for me, it's just about okay. Well, let's see, let's see what's going to happen. And, and as long as there is a sense of a sense of being able to see what's going on, and that and that there is a sort of improvement, then that's kind of all I'm all, all I'm personally aspiring towards. But that's not to say that people aren't right to be pissed off or worried. It's just that, of course, in an online sphere, as you say, people feed off each other's emotional responses but also that in an environment particularly like twitter some things it's very easy to put something down very quickly and then it's there uh and most people don't bother to tweet delete things they said that were stupid i mean i don't bother i don't bother going and deleting my rants about referees that i've made in the past <laughs> and i'm sure some of them i feel pretty pretty stupid about now so I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna have a go at people um uh, but i but i do think that but the media's reluctance to to acknowledge the mitigating circumstances at the start of the season for Arsenal, because obviously, as you say, it's a much better storyline if there aren't any mitigating circumstances, <laughs> uh, did impact on the way that people viewed it. It was like, yeah, I know we had like 12 players missing, but it's not acceptable. And it's like, well, yes, I agreed with that to a degree in that the limpness of the performance against Man City was worrying. But I also felt that the circumstances were so one-off in a way in that game. And also, it's fairly clear to date that uh, that unless Arteta manages to surprise Pep, he doesn't, you know, that's the only way he's going to get a result against him. Um, so, yeah, I, I found, it, found it much easier to park that just because I saw it as a sort of almost like an isolated thing. Um, and, and obviously... You know, after the Brentford game, we found out about all the COVID stuff being just before the game. And it was like, okay, well, that's going to fuck with your head. Um, And then the Chelsea game, it's like, oh, Chelsea are really good now. And we still had loads of players missing. Um, So I I guess I'm more inclined to uh, make allowances for extenuating circumstances. But that's not to say that people weren't right to be worried. Because, you know, ultimately all that really matters is what what's happening on the pitch and not a lot was happening. Um, so Arteta's not off the hook by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he, he needs to come out this next run of six games after this one with, 
at least another three or four wins, really. Uh, not to save his job, but just to <laughs> just to mean that he doesn't need to get quite as good results in the more difficult fixtures coming directly after that. You know, <laughs> uh, the, I, I think Arsenal fans are have traditionally been very patient, but obviously that patience has been stretched over the last few seasons uh, for a range of reasons, and therefore. Um, you know, a coach has got to very much establish themselves as a unique element and a unique identity separate from what has preceded him in order to be able to survive, <laughs> I think. And, and I think this new clutch of players gives Arteta an opportunity to do that. <laughs> I've just opened the next fixtures. As you said, six matches? Yeah, I think I think the next six we've got... We're, we're in shipping. the league. Burnley, Burnley Spurs... <laughs> <laughs> Brighton away. Palace will just beat the Spurs. Villa. Leicester. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not saying they're easy, but I'm saying they're games we should expect to get a certain amount of good results out of, particularly as, you know, uh, Spurs, Palace and Villa are all at home. Uh, you know, Brighton are still struggling to score goals for all their, one, all their being XG kings. Leicester City, it's hard to know because some Leicester City we either really struggle against or we turn over quite easily, and I'm never quite sure how to predict that. <laughs> Which team will appear? <laughs> yeah, and 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 Burnley itself is, uh, you know, stylistically they're a real struggle for us, but we we tend to do pretty well against them. Um, and you know, ultimately, when us playing against Burnley, it's can we not do anything stupid and can we play somewhere near our potential? And if we do both those things, we'll win the game. And then and after that, we've got, crowd. well, yeah. And <laughs> after that, we've got home to Watford as well. So that's another game that should be winnable. And then, and then get things get trickier because we've got Liverpool away. I mean, we've got Newcastle at home after that, but then it's Man United away and then it's Everton away, which is always a tricky one for us. So, um, it's not that it, these are a, a win of must-win fixtures, but it's these are fixtures we should expect to get a certain amount of points out of. If um, you know, even it, it, we all know that the the expectation or the hope of challenging for top four this season probably isn't very realistic with such sorts oh. of change. <laughs> That's yeah, far far fetched. <laughs> but you know, Arsenal have to be a team that, even at their worst, is a top half of the table team, even at their yeah. worst. That's just that's just the minimum expectation. Like we had last season. Yeah, that I mean that should be, <laughs> that should be the worst. You know that should exactly. be as bad as it gets. Yeah, definitely. And that has to be the way the club views things. Otherwise, there is no progress. I mean, you know, we don't. I'm not expecting, as I say, top four. There's a lot. There's a lot of different moving elements that are new coming in. But we do. We do need to see that that he can use these players to achieve a bit more consistency, you know, even if individual performances with young players will dip and, 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 and grow and whatever. But there is an, enough depth in the squad with just with the absence of European football to be able to, to be a, at least achieve a consistency approach that can survive the odd, the odd absences. You know, at the start of the season, it's much harder if you've got loads of people missing because you haven't established anything. But once something's established, you should be able to plug pieces in slightly more easily. He says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we will have, uh, I think, Carabao Cup this yeah. month as well. Yeah. And uh, one fixture. But obviously, no European football should definitely help us. We have seen that happen for other teams in past, in the last few seasons. It's really 
it's it showed that it means a lot uh so i hope that it will mean a lot for us as well <laughs> yeah i mean ultimately people as i say were were quite justified in being concerned after the first three games and some people were losing their shit completely but ultimately any three game fixture set of fixtures on its own is pretty meaningless i mean some uh there's a, there's a website called untold arsenal which is sort of positive to the point of being virtual propaganda <laughs> <laughs> and they used to defend wenger as if he was their granddad um but um you know, they quite rightly pointed out that in most of the last in most of the seasons over the last 20 years at some point arsenal have either lost three games in a row or have lost two and drawn two out of four games in a row or or lost three and drawn one out of four games in a row you know bad runs happen and that was when we were still finishing top 4 every year or top 3 every year that was still the case um it's just that it's the start of the season and yeah, exactly. yeah it's it really influences the mood yeah and 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 obviously you know we'd, we'd got used to doing feeling a bit happy about playing against Chelsea. You know, we were starting to expect things. <laughs> yeah, last few seasons was fun. <laughs> but, but every year we get turned over by like, you know, every year since we've stopped being one of the top two teams, we get turned over away from home by one, you know, by the by the champions or one of the top two. And every year we drop points or lose to some newly promoted team. I mean, that's just so fucking Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we'll never get used to it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's not. It's not to get used to it, but it's just. <laughs> it's just that. It's only because these games came in a sequence that makes them dramatic. You know, if at the end of the season, if you once you look at them in totality, then then you can take and sort of ascertain the meaning of them. You know, if someone had said before the fixture list came out that Arsenal will lose away at Brentford, you know, if, mm-hmm. you know, newly promoted fit and flying new signings bedding in raucous crowd and they'll lose away at man city and they will lose at home to european champions and title challengers chelsea if you'd spread that that over the whole season you'd be like oh that's a bit shit but it wouldn't be any more dramatic than that (laughs) because none of those things would be seen as shocking or or they're contextualized by what else happens you know if if some you know if we beat spurs for instance or (laughs) if we somehow go and win Anfield or Old Trafford, you know, against teams that are very strong, then suddenly those earlier defeats become a little less meaningful, don't they? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm really stretching the optimism with some of those predictions. But <laughs> <laughs> well, weird things have happened. So. Well, indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, I mean, was it just just before we sort of move on to a few other little bits and bobs? Is there any other? Th- comments you have about the Norwich game at all either what it means or how you feel about it or what what you've seen the reaction online to be well, I mean that we we covered a lot of it the Arteta's comment after the match were interesting uh, he had the best 10 15 days in football <laughs> means that he's I read, read that as he's definitely really happy with the signings that we made and the support that he got from the board probably so that's a something to you know positive side. Yeah, and I think he must have been implying that the the, the players had a positive response. I mean, and I, I mean the very fact that Maitland Niles went from kind of pleading for his freedom on social media to being in the starting <laughs> eleven. Something positive has happened in that relationship. Yeah. 
which could, which can only be a good thing for both player and club. Um, I mean, just sort of okay, just stepping away from that. Obviously, um, the Arsenal Arsenal women uh, have, uh, have won again very comfortably a four nil away victory at Reading with yeah. brace for Miedemar, uh, another goal for Beth Mead, and um, Jen Beattie getting getting the opener from uh, uh, quite early on. An absolute stroll from what I saw of it. <laughs> Um, I've seen some comments saying that they have the potential to be invincible. <laughs> well, of course. In, you should ask Sylvan about that. Well, it, of course, in in the WSL, that's always a, a bit more plausible because the, the, at the moment, the top three are a, a clear step ahead of the others. So if, you know, if Arsenal, you know, if, if, if Arsenal beat Chelsea and Man City and um, twice this season, if they beat them both in both games and they'll win them the league, kind of almost regardless of anything else. That's just where the, where the league is set up. So it's entirely plausible, but um, it'll be very challenging because they've still got to play away at Chelsea and they've still got Man City twice. But they've also just been drawn in the Women's Champions League against Barcelona, Wolfsburg, and another team that I can't remember off the top of my head, but certainly Barcelona and Wolfsburg uh, women's teams are both Danish, Danish champions. Uh, I saw in the Slack, uh, Silvan was filming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. N- oh, it's a really, really bad draw. Yes, it was Arsenal women getting the equivalent of the Arsenal men's uh, first qualify, first uh, knockout stage draws in the Champions League when Arsenal <laughs> Bayern Munich. It's that. It's that equivalent. Um, but you know, Arsenal women are a very, very strong team, and um, they've got a bit more depth in certain positions this season than they did, and, and seem to be responding well to their new coach. Um, so you know, onwards and upwards, and you know, nice to see. Viv Miedemar go from getting a hundredth Arsenal goal in 110 games to probably getting, probably getting a hundred eleventh and hundred hundred first hundred second rather. <laughs> um, no penalties in there at all. Absolutely astonishing record. Um, yeah, she is just out of this world. But I mean, she is a fantastic. She is one of the best uh, strikers in the world. So uh, that, that, that that does help. Um, <laughs> And is and also uh, for anyone who hasn't read it on the dot com, there's a really interesting interview with her where she talks, you know, about her mentality, but also about the Dutch tradition of sort of nine and a half type players, sort of evoking Van Persie, and, and obviously if she was a bit older, she'd have been evoking younger Dennis Burkamp before he became more of an overt playmaker, um, and, and so that's quite interesting. Um, on top of that, uh, Arsenal under twenty threes beat Man United under twenty threes three one. I've seen that featuring uh, Luke Shaw and Dean Henderson goal, and and the lesser spotted Phil Jones who got <laughs> mugged off by Charlie Patino. Our deep- I meant Phil Jones, not Luke Shaw. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I saw that goal. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been doing doing the rounds on Twitter. Um, quite rightly too. Uh, wonderful composure, and and of course, Patino is someone I mentioned in the last podcast as being very, very, very highly thought of. Um, yeah, lots of talk about him being the next Jack Wilshire. Yeah, I mean, stylistically different. He's he's sort of halfway between Jack and 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 and, and a granite Jacker, but without the kind of two-footed lunges um, of either. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Actually, just on that subject, um, sorry, the other, just to mention, uh, Balogun got the other two goals in that match. So good for him to, to refine some confidence and some form after a couple of tricky tricky uh, appearances in the first team. Hopefully that will set him up nicely for a, a start and some goals in the next round of the Carabao Cup. 
But yes, just on the subject of talking about left-footed youth team playmakers, uh, did you hear the question and answer by Mikhail Arteta regarding Jack Wilshire? Uh, didn't he mention he mentioned something that he's always welcome back? Yeah, because there's there's been got quite a lot of coverage uh, through both David Alston, the Athletic, and elsewhere about how basically Jack Wilshire is without a club that Bournemouth having not got promoted, basically wanted to go through a youth movement, which makes perfect sense. Um, and how he's not even been invited to train with anyone and he's had to go off to Italy to, to train with a Serie B team. But because of Brexit, he can't even get a contract out there. And he's sort of like happy to go anywhere to play, really. But um, yeah, the combinations of Brexit and the fact that no one in England will give him a chance is, means he's sort of doing training on his own a lot. And obviously that's you know, it's quite hard to remain motivated when you've gone from training with, you know, Robin Van Persie and Cesc Fabregas to then training in a park on your own outside your house. Um, but so someone in the question, someone asked in the question in the press conference about, you know, had Arteta heard about Jack Welsh and, what, and, and blah, blah, blah. And Arteta just said, well, everyone at the club loves him. And, he's, and, he, and, and then when he was asked specifically, he said, well, he's always welcome here. So um, hopefully... For Jack's sake, given that the Italy option seems to be not on the table for anymore, hopefully he, he does return and, and, and pursues that option and, and, it, and it remains available to him because just being able to train at Arsenal would do so much for him, getting him to fully match fitness and be able to get a gig somewhere. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, we can all try and envisage the fairy tale scenario where he, he does a Matthew Flamini. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in, in the past, we have always been welcoming the ex-players, even some that weren't Arsenal. I mean, Beckham was training yeah. at Arsenal a few times, so definitely nice to see that it could happen again because, I mean, Jack Wilshere is still in a good age for, for, for a player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just was really unlucky and a really sad story for, for him. So I'm glad that Arteta is open for that as well. Um, elsewhere, uh, the under 18s drew three all, I think, away at Southampton. I, I don't have the scores for that one yet, so um, but uh, obviously, all those highlights will be on the dot com in due course. Um, but obviously, with, with the transfer window having slammed shut, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's the focus is now very much on, on what's going on with the team and, and what different options there are. And I guess it makes it a really interesting time because this is the most new signings who are earmarked for the first team that we've made in, in one summer in a long time, um, as well as having quite a few younger players who there are some question marks over exactly where they'll fit in, you know, like Martinelli um, being a case in point, you know, Balogun himself, um, you know, will will kids like Charlie Capitino get a chance in the Carabao Cup? And, you know, what, um, what What will the on-loan players do? There's quite a lot of intrigue and uncertainty, which I think is really healthy because we've, we've, we've had a situation where, for a few years, where even though there have been some new signings and even though there has been some turnover of, of coaching staff, the majority of the players who are going to be playing week in, week out are players that we already know about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the... This is one of the reasons why Xhaka is such a divisive figure because he also represents a slightly disappointing continuity. <laughs> um, you know, and, and of course, it's only we've only just lost, uh, or only relatively recently lost uh, Mustafi. You know, we still haven't managed to quite, quite get rid of the odour of Klasenac yet. Um, 
And uh, even obviously we had the, the Urzil saga of, you know, being delighted when he, when he re-upped his contract and he discovered that his back was knackered and he didn't currently be asked to running anymore. Um, <laughs> so the, just that, I think, gives a lot more interest level to the season ahead. And I, and I hope that that's what we're seeing reflected in the, the home fans. And I hope that sort of can capture the imagination of the fan base a little bit, particularly as a number of the personalities of some of the new arrivals seem to be kind of likable figures. Obviously, Erdegaard seems to be a real leader for his national team. Uh, again, an, an, a, another absolutely brilliant through ball for him that didn't result in a goal <laughs> because it <laughs> was a very good save by Tim Krul stopping Aubameyang from scoring um, early, in, early in the first half. And, and you know, Ramsdale showed himself to be a very likable character. Ben White looks, I mean, gives the impression of being a bit of a geezer, but, um, you know, <laughs> He stylistically brings something that that is 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 potentially very exciting. Tommy Asu, uh, I think I was really, as I said in last week's podcast, I was really pleased when we bought him. I just think that he has attributes that we need, and I think his his on pitch character will be extremely popular because he's just so wholehearted and and committed in what he does. And I think I th- I think. I think the fans will respond very well to that, given there's been a few, a few players that sort of, whether, whether it's true or just projected, but give the impression of greater apathy in recent seasons. So, you know, that sort of enthusiasm, and if the players are bringing it, will transmit itself to the fans, I think. With him and the Lokonga, I got the impression of you know, classic Wenger signings of yeah. players that not many have been you know, linked to, mentioned, thrown around and all of that. And then, they turn out to be really good and they are both really young. Mm. And from, you know, leagues that are not Premier League or Bundesliga or La Liga or something like that, like, you know, like he used to do with the second French leagues or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and, you know, what's also an added layer of intrigue is, of course, the fact that Tommy Asu was supposed to be off to Spurs earlier in the summer. And then Spurs mm-hmm. bought Emerson Royale for Barcelona, who was supposedly coming to join us. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a direct comparison there. I mean, they're diff- very different sorts of players. And, and, I, and I think for the system that Arteta wants, Tommy Asu will actually be a better fit than Emerson Royale. But um, that's sort of quite interesting as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think if we can somehow... Uh, bizarrely kind of make ourselves feel a little less end gaining about wanting to know how the season's going to go and projecting towards final results. I, th- I think there's going to be a lot about the process to enjoy. Um, he says, hopefully. Uh, the process. End of the podcast. Uh, the the men- first mention of the word process. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not meaning it in the same way that it's talked about by people at the club. I just mean the process of us as fans watching players develop <laughs> rather, rather than any hidden guruism that the word yeah. process in football seems to imply. Had to use the opportunity. <laughs> to use the opportunity. Uh, and the only last thing, last thing I wanted to just run by just before we wrap up it is uh, how did it feel seeing our dear boy Hector in green? Oh, well, the, it's, it's really tough to be losing a human being, Hector Bellerin, you know, 
the person that he is off the pitch and everything that he does he's just so likable and uh, he's been here for so many years we even share share a birthday so <laughs> I, I was like really con- <laughs> connected to him I get it you know the the pitch Hector on the pitch Hector Bellerin I I think that I won't miss that much because it's have to be realistic. He his form dropped significantly over the last few seasons. He just wasn't his old self, and yeah. I'm glad that he got he found a, a place for him to be. And and in the, in a club that he has been supporting since he was a, a little kid. So it seems like a nice story for him. And I liked again his comments again the human side of Hector Bellerin that he took the the pay cut to play there. So it's just. He keeps being a really good person in general. <laughs> One interesting story I read about that was also that apparently him and his whoever you know he talks to for advice, actually they actually got some data specialists to look at if he was going to go on loan, who would be the best, which would be the best clubs to fit him for him to go on loan to, and then it turned out that Betis was very high on that list, and so therefore his decision was was, was sorted. You know, <laughs> uh, his, his decision was made. But yeah, it's interesting that it's both uh, an, uh, an analytical and an emotional decision. So one can only hope that works out well for him. Also, because if it works out well for him, then it'll probably work out better for us in terms of getting a some sort of fee once his loan deals up. Because I think he'll still have a year left in his contract after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure we all just wish him all the best going forward. You know, he certainly yeah. always gave his all in an Arsenal shirt and it's not his fault that his knee turned into, into jelly. <laughs> and he hasn't been quite the same player since. Um, yeah, and he's still young. He will get has plenty of time to get back on track. Exactly. Well, on that optimistic note, uh, on a podcast that has been a bit more optimistic than recent ones, anyway, uh, not <laughs> not just uh, the style of me and Anita, who are more optimistic human beings in general, but also <laughs> a reflection of the fact that it all looks a little less gloomy after a home win. Uh, One nil to the Arsenal. I mean, what else? <laughs> so what was a while since I've heard that song. Uh, there it was resounding out so yeah um i hope uh you listening to this have also been able to feel some of the optimism that we do and uh are looking forward to the development of the team over this course of the season and have found us talking about it to be at least interesting or therapeutic or pleasant or affirming or something uh and as i speak and it is being assaulted by a cat so Anyway, uh, I'm to wrap up. <laughs> yes, and to wrap up, uh, there's a cat's tail on the camera. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Um, I hope that you, uh, you and yours are all well, and uh, that the descent into autumn is a nice, gentle one wherever you are in the world. Uh, except for those of you who are obviously far enough away in the world that it will be the emergence into spring and summer. In which case, <laughs> screw you, you lucky bastards. All right, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.